Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Thanks for joining me for another segment. I thought it might be interesting just to talk a little bit about couples and money. I've received a couple questions recently from a listener, and I thought, well, let's dive into that. I don't believe I've done a uh, podcast on that uh, fully. I think I referred to it a little bit in my previous podcast. So, as you know, these are unscripted monologues, <laughs> but here's truly, I often wonder what I'll look back on years from now and go, I can't believe I really said that. So uh, with that, let's, let's dive in. I really came to doing this work out of a divorce. A divorce that happened in 1991 really had me reconsider my whole life. And I got into therapy because I had the good sense to somehow intuit that if I didn't get to the bottom of uh, my part of uh, my the breakup of my marriage, that I would probably repeat this again. And uh, that was something I didn't want to do. I think anybody that's gone through a divorce can relate to the fact it can be one of the more painful experiences in life. And for me, it eventually became one of the uh, hmm, greatest teachers, I think I could say, that I ever had because I am confident had I not gone through a divorce, I would not be doing the work that I'm doing today. So I got into therapy, group therapy, actually. I got into individual therapy, and I think I was in individual therapy for Oh, a year, a year or so. And um, my therapist taught me into getting into group therapy, which was absolutely terrifying to me. I mean, <laughs> only really messed up people got into group therapy. So because I respected him, I, uh, I did that. And I made a real big mistake because I said, I will get out of group therapy when I ceased to get value out of it. <laughs> I was in group therapy for 12 years. <laughs> so maybe that just means I'm a really slow learner. And during my tenure in, in group therapy, I often thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to do therapy around money because money was just hardly ever a disgust. Everything else was discussed, but not money. So eventually I pitched this to an outpatient uh, workshop organization called OnSite, and they thought doing therapy around money would be innovative and cool. 
So um, started doing that. I think it was around 2005 or so where we actually stumbled into developing financial therapy, which was the combination of financial planning, the nuts and bolts, the numbers, all the money with the emotions, the stories and beliefs that we make up about how money works. So that's a little background. Saying that, uh, Ted Klontz, who is my co-author on three books, has often said that when couples fight around money, it's their money scripts that are fighting. And from an IFS lens, we know that it's their parts that are fighting. So there is uh, no question in my mind that couples can benefit hugely from taking an introspective look at what each of them and what each of their parts believe around money. It depends which research that you follow, but we know that money is often one of the biggest pain points of a relationship. And in many cases can be the cause of a divorce. So money disagreements are really common with spouses. Probably in my work, I work more with couples that tend to be on the same page with money. But um, it's not unusual that you have one spouse that tends towards spending and one spouse that tends towards saving. And the uh, uh, disagreements uh, can come up quite easily. Uh, sometimes you have one spouse that, quote, does money and another spouse that doesn't do money who will uh, basically give their power to the spouse that does money. And I'm not saying that in a bad sense necessarily. That spouse probably says it's not my strength and I'm glad I have a spouse that it is their strength. So I was asked uh, about some of the common uh, problems, specifically debt-related, that couples uh, will go to a financial therapist for. And, you know, I think basically a couple will come or seek out some help on anything that they disagree about over money. Uh, quite frankly, I find that estate planning issues, like who will be the custodian is a, or a guardian of the kids is popular. Of course, budgeting, where to direct the resources, what type of spending to spend on, because all of us have a limited amount of money. And sometimes we have an unlimited amount of ideas of where we'd like to spend that money. Another area is on investments. One spouse wants to be more conservative. One spouse wants to be more uh, aggressive. So th those are some of the issues that I have or that I see. And, and probably the debt falls into more of the budgeting category where especially if you have one spouse that is tend to be tends to be more of a spender and will go into debt. Uh, usually it's via credit cards. 
But it, there's all sorts of, sorts of debt that can cause marital uh, disagreements, um, borrowing against the house, say, to make investments or to go into business or borrowing a lot of money to go into business where uh, one spouse can acquiesce to that, maybe even sometimes co-sign the uh, notes, but not have a full understanding of what uh, is is happening, what they're agreeing to, and things don't go well, that can can cause a, uh, a lot of stress with each other and, and a lot of financial danger, potentially some financial ruin. So I think it's, uh, it's really important that a spouse um, be aware and question um, when there's debt that's being accumulated. And this can be really, really difficult depending on the power structures of the, uh, of the relationship. But uh, just know any time that you are on an account or sign your name on a document that's a, that's a loan, that you're responsible for that. So this can be tough, tough area to negotiate and an area where courageous conversations are really needed and where the intervention of a financial therapist can be helpful in sorting all this out. Because it doesn't mean that debt inherently is bad. You can have a spouse that has a lot of uh, money scripts around debt, that money scripts are bad. They have a lot of parts that are really fearful of, about debt. How they got fearful about debt can be unlimited. But let's just take a hypothetical of where as a young child, you somehow knew that your parents went through a bankruptcy and lost the house and lost a lot of possessions because they were in debt. And somehow there was an internalization that debt is bad. And the last thing I want to be in it is debt. So anytime that there's debt uh, going forward as an adult, those uh those vulnerable parts of us that were so wounded and scared and fearful get triggered uh, when there's the mention of debt and protective parts of us come in and shut that down and say, nope, we're going to stay as far away from that feeling of, of fear and overwhelm as possible. We're not going in debt. We're not going to be any debt. And sometimes that can be problematic. It can be problematic in wealth building, for example. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't build wealth without debt. But one of the uh, more popular and more proven sources of wealth building is real estate. And it's really difficult to save up enough money to outright buy a piece of property with cash. Most of us, when we're getting started, and I was no different, used, we called it OPM, other people's money or debt to leverage and buy real estate. So a debt that's often backed or secured by assets that have value can be healthy debt, can be good debt. Now there's all sorts of caveats around that that I'm not going to get into. 
unsecured debt like credit cards uh, often can be not so good debt. But debt is put on a credit card and paid off monthly. That can be a very useful and beneficial debt. So that's something to look at is if you're looking at secured debt that you and your spouse have, you know, maybe real estate and maybe there's equity, meaning that let's just say a house is worth 300000 you owe 200 on it. That would could be considered good debt, right? Now, if the interest rate's 10%, that could be problematic. But if it's at a current rate of, say, 3-ish percent, and there's a lot of anxiety up for you around that debt, you, you see all those zeros and there's just a lot of anxiety, that's something to pay attention to. That's something to look at. And as a spouse, if your spouse is really anxious about this type of debt, I don't know. I mean, it could be helpful to realize that this isn't necessarily about the debt. It's not necessarily about anything that you've done. It's probably about the history of your spouse. And you might think, well, (laughs) I never knew that about my spouse. And that can be very, very true. Uh, Maybe you've had this debt for a long, long time. And it's never surfaced, but all of a sudden it's surfacing. Maybe as you are buying and selling properties, your net worth is growing, your debt is growing, and it can trigger off things that have been uh, laying dormant, so to speak, either in you or in your spouse. Like, why now am I feeling this? And it uh, could be that that... uh, wounded, vulnerable part has just been contained for long enough, but it's reached a point where containment is getting uh, difficult. So these are all um, areas, uh, examples of when uh, looking at debt can be helpful. And of course, you can have the another situation where the debt is not quote, healthy. Uh, Let's just say it's credit card debt. It's revolving at an 18% interest rate. This can rarely be a good thing. I I could come up with some hypotheticals where this could be okay, but it would be a pretty rare time. And you may have one spouse that's just completely okay with this. It's not a problem. Here's all the reasons we need to, to incur that debt. We can pay it off. Now, sometimes this is um, more in a sense of um, kind of their protective parts trying to, to manage this. Uh, sometimes deep down there is real fear and real concern that they have, but their their system is made up to be really positive and gloss over the uh, what's really happening. And then you have a, that could be if any of you are in tune with the Enneagram, for example, that could be a, a type nine, right? And then uh, you have a spouse that is really in touch with this, that is uh, really aware of the problem, aware of the compounding of the interest, aware of the budget, given to a lot of anxiety. In Enneagram speak, this could be a type six. And they're frightened uh, terribly 
about what's going on. They're really concerned about where the money's going to come to pay this off. They're really concerned about the compounding of the 18%. And so you can have this uh, conflict that's set up where one spouse is super anxious and angry about the debt. The other spouse is like it's uh, not a big deal. And it could be that, uh, I mean, both spouses are coming from their perspective and they have uh, the parts of themselves that are worried, the parts of themselves that are not worried, have good intentions. Uh, it's discovering that and it's each spouse discovering how they are feeling about it. Because oftentimes we're really focused on that other spouse, right? He or she just needs to quit accumulating debt. He or she just needs to get rid of that credit card debt. And, and the other, and, and then I, I will be okay. It will be fixed. And they, the other spouse, uh, focusing on why, why is, uh, my spouse or my partner getting so upset over all of this? It, it's totally under control. There's really good reasons that are here. There is a plan to pay this off. And if they just wouldn't be freaking out so much, then I would be okay. And uh, the hard thing to do is to focus on what's coming up in you. What's coming up in you around the reaction, how your, your partner is relating to you, how your partner is speaking to you. And this is really difficult to do. <laughs> it's where having a financial therapist can really, really help out. So that's just some things that uh, come up uh, around debt. I've had another question about a couple where you have a stay-at-home partner and you have a working partner. And oftentimes there, there's a lot of dynamics set up about this. <clears throat> the question uh, that was posed would be, uh, you know, what do you do when you have one spouse that wants to stay at home but doesn't think it's fair to stop working because of, let's say, their student loan debt? And what could I, I say about this? Things have really changed, right? When I was a kid, it was still in the day that there typically was a stay-at-home partner. It typically was the woman, and it was just that's just how it was. You know, it was the leave it to beaver or father knows best time of life. So it's really a kind of a, a new development over the past decades where you'll have um, a spouse that is wanting, wanting to contribute, feels that they should contribute, right? That the idea of staying at home is not palatable or doesn't feel fair and uh, wants to stop working. And this, of course, typically happens around the childbearing years when the couple decides that really one, one partner needs to stay at home and or should stay at home and take care of the kids. And there's, there's plenty of couples where they, this is not something that works for them. I have employed a lot of uh, really great associates where staying at home was just not an emotional option for them, that, that it really was important for their self-care 
to get out of the house and work and, and maintain some type of balance between being a parent and taking care of themselves and, and their interests. So it's kind of a, a big deal. And the biggest thing that we'll see is that when a spouse is considering staying home, considering dropping their career and becoming solely dependent on the other partner, that they will have a lot of guilt. And they have a lot of guilt about stopping work. And there'll be messages around that they're a burden and that it's unfair that their spouse has to take over the uh, responsibility for everything. Now, being a kind of a, a logic guy, <laughs> I have a great logical part. You know, I'll go to showing, well, if you didn't stay at home, here's all the things that will have to be hired to be done. And it could be nanny service. It could be shuttling kids to and from school. It could be homeschooling. It could be, you know, in that case, it would be a private school or all sorts of various expenses. And I, I, at one time, there was a number that I saw that the value of a stay-at-home spouse was $60,000. And this is probably 10, 15, 20 years ago. So by inflation, it would be more than that. Uh, so you could you can lo logically explain things like that, but sometimes that doesn't really work for our parts because we got it's this deep, vulnerable feelings of being a burden or being afraid to be taken care of or being afraid to be dependent upon somebody else. So again, that's the focus on yourself. What's coming up for me? What's coming up for me around this? And it's helpful to check this out with your spouse, right? Because you've got all of your stuff around it. It's helpful to know what what stuff, <laughs> technical term, uh, your spouse has uh, around that. And you'll notice as I'm going through this, I'm using, using spouse and partner interchangeably, and that's, that's uh, intentional. So it would be good to have that conversation, to bring that up. And again, there can be a lot of fear in bringing that up. Uh, you could find out that your spouse is perfectly okay with this. Uh, this is something I experienced when uh, my wife decided to stop her uh, career as a college professor and stay home with our children. Now, to me, it was really weird that I had a partner who was working. <laughs> I never witnessed this. Uh, in my family, I can only think of one woman in my, in my ancestry that worked. So it was perfectly normal for me. In fact, it felt unfamiliar for her to be working. So uh, you can check that out and it can be really hard for the other spouse to really believe that, okay? And the second thing that can come up is that a spouse could say that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it, but when you really look into it, they're not perfectly okay. And this can be picked up by the other spouse. 
that there's some uh, unresolved issues or maybe some anger about this, something coming out sideways, their words are saying they're okay, but their behaviors are saying, I'm not okay with this. And maybe it's a should. Maybe it's like, yeah, somebody should stay home, but I'm not really happy about this. That spouse could be really afraid of the finances. I'm really afraid to admit they're scared to death uh, that the finances are going to work out, or they're scared to death that uh, of being the responsible one. They're, they have a, a real part that's uh, fearful of that amount of responsibility put upon them for a lot of historical reasons. So that would be really good to get to and uh, to understand if you're the stay-at-home spouse that their uh, concern with you staying at home may not be about you, right? Especially, especially if the income is enough, especially if the family can live on one income and that spouse is having a lot, the working spouse is having a lot of anxiety around them. So those are some things that, um, that come up. Another thing to look at is maybe you're deciding that somebody should stay at home kind of based on what I just said, ought to stay at home. And neither one of you want to stay at home. <laughs> neither one of you want the other to stay at home. But you feel compelled because of societal norms, of money scripts, that somebody needs to stay at home, right? That's a, That can be a money script. <clears throat> so. so there's a lot more to say about this. Maybe I'll even have a follow-up podcast on more. So, um, but this is uh, all we had time for today. So, so uh, thanks for listening. And if you have uh, thoughts uh, or additional questions on anything, uh, please email me at rick at rickkaler, K-A-H-L-E-R.com. And um, I would be happy to, to receive that. So take care and look forward to... Uh, next time that we're together. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.